The first reading, the first reading is from the book of Colossians, uh, chapter one, verses twenty-one to twenty-nine, which is on page one thousand six hundred seventy-seven in the Pew Bibles. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present your holy insight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present to everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Marianne. So we're up to our final fruit of our Growing in Christ series, the final fruit of... uh, our growing in Christ tree as it gets filled out. Uh, and the final fruit is gospel heartedness. Uh, for some time now as a church, we have uh, at the beginning of every year written down two or three names that we're committing to pray for, uh, two or three names who we'd love to uh, know Christ as we do. Now, as I expect, um, or as I guess you'd expect, I've had three names each year. And I've prayed most weeks, and I've got to tell you that not a single one has come to know Jesus. Now, I know that's not a particularly motivating way to start a sermon. (laughs) I know some who have prayed for someone and they've come to know Jesus, which is fantastic. But my suspicion is that I'm not the only one in this situation where I've prayed and I've not seen the results that I was praying for. Uh, it's a, a situation in which like, we can actually just grow in a sense of gospel gloom. You know, it's easy to become negative about the prospect of seeing someone you love uh, becoming compelled by the love of Christ in the way that you are. Uh, and sometimes this, this experience chips away at our gospel heartedness. You know, later on in this book that Marianne read for us in Colossians 4, we read this, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And yet, in our gospel gloom, in our despondency, we ask, what's what's the point? No one's going to be saved anyway. Um, We're instructed to make the most of every opportunity. 
And you think the only opportunity I have is when people are criticising the church. Um, surely I don't have a gospel answer because I don't need a gospel answer because no one ever asks. Do you, do you get that? Sometimes you get in that, uh, uh, that gospel gloom um, and uh, we can end up thinking, oh, look, I'll just leave making Christ known to someone else, someone else who seems that they're always having those conversations, someone else who seems to be having the results that I'm not seeing. And we think, well, perhaps it's me. Perhaps, perhaps there's something I'm doing wrong. I'll just leave it to someone else. Have you been there? I think as I actually say those thoughts out loud uh, and ask whether that's where God wants us to be, uh, we can say, well, of course not. That's not where we're meant to end up. Uh, but that is kind of where we end up sometimes, isn't it? That, that growing sense of gospel gloom uh, rather than the gospel-heartedness that we know is right. On reflection, we recognise we actually need to be gospel-hearted, but how? How do you grow in gospel-heartedness? Uh, well, Colossians is a great place to start, a uh, great place to turn to when you're looking to grow in that gospel-heartedness. Uh, so three ways today, three ways to grow in gospel-heartedness. The first one, I will become more gospel-hearted when I actually believe the gospel. That's where we start. Uh, following this magisterial prayer that he prays, the apostle describes the effect of the gospel like this. In Have a look in 1.13, uh, Colossians 1, uh, verse 13. Got it there? I'm asking you because I haven't. Uh, uh, Colossians 1.13. This is the effect of the gospel. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As a result of the gospel of Jesus, which, which you've believed, your location has changed. You're no longer a resident of the dominion of darkness. You actually are now in the kingdom of Jesus, uh, who's freed you from the weight of your sin. Uh, he's forgiven you. And why this matters is because who he is. Uh, have a look later in uh, 116. Uh, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That is, the Lord Jesus is of unparalleled authority. Every person will stand before this mightiest of mighty kings in judgment, whether they're living in the dominion of darkness or whether they're in his kingdom. Which situation do you want to be in? You know which situation you are in. I will become more gospel-hearted when I actually believe this. Uh, it's beautifully summarised here, 121. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And these verses about continuing in faith, you see a clear picture of before faith and after faith. Verse 21, you were alienated. Before trusting in Jesus, before faith, you were estranged from God. You were an illegal alien. That describes your relationship with God before faith in Jesus. 
The second descriptor is there, enemies in your minds. That is, before Jesus, you were consciously antagonistic of the true God. Well, that leads to the third. You were, you were doing evil deeds because our thinking, our perspective, shapes the way that we act. Now, I know in this talk I'm primarily addressing those who have given their lives to Jesus, uh, those who are living for him, uh, and yet I know that some of us aren't in that situation. Now, I'm really glad you're here. I just want to, to, to say to you in particular, God is not some kindly grandparent that will forgive all sins all the time. Bear in mind this reminder, without Jesus, God actually regards you as alienated and estranged from him. He wants a relationship with you through Jesus. However, without it, you remain estranged, you remain alienated. All of us were there at one point or another, and we continue to struggle with our minds and our behaviour. But friends, here is the difference for those who are in the kingdom of light. Have a look at verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That's the movement. The movement from an estranged, hostile mind, evil behaviour to holiness, clean, purified, equipped for closeness to God. That's the difference that faith in Jesus makes to your status. You say, well, as a Christian, yeah, but I still have evil thoughts. I still act like I did before I was a Christian. And yes, that needs a change. But independent of that, Jesus, through his sacrifice, made you holy, clean, sanctified. Getting back to where we started, how do you grow in the fruit of gospel-heartedness? It starts with believing it, believing the gospel. And of course, as we've seen over the last two weeks, that's the case with any fruits of growing in Christ, isn't it? What do we do with the fruits? If we want to see the fruits of uh, growing in Christ, well, we start with the roots, don't we? In each of the fruits, we've gone back to the roots. You've got to work on faith. That's where it starts. Go back to faith. Who am I trusting? Why am I trusting? That gets nourished by the word of uh, God and the, word of, uh, and the work of the Spirit, and it happens in the nursery of the church. That's where we grow. It's roots before fruits, again, with gospel-heartedness. If you want to see fruits of gospel-heartedness, tend to the roots. Tend to the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember the great thing that God has done for you in Jesus. How do I become more gospel-hearted? Well, by actually believing in the gospel. Secondly, how do I become more gospel-hearted? Secondly, by become more gospel-hearted by remembering the scope of the gospel. Uh, we take confidence from verse 23 that we're reconciled to God, holy in his sight if we continue in faith, established and firm, and not moving from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, the eagle-eyed among you would have noticed the tricky part in verse 23. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's tricky, that verse, isn't it? Because in one sense, it cannot possibly be true. Uh, the gospel being known to every creature. Well, we know that can't be true. The Colossians knew that. Paul knew that. So what does Paul mean then? 
Friends, this verse helps us to understand just the sheer scale and scope of the gospel message. Uh, I think the ESV uh, picks it up better um, uh, when it says, which has been proclaimed in all creation. That's the kind of idea here. When, with the emphasis being, this is a global thing. This is an all of creation thing. This, this message is for every person on the globe, every person in creation. Uh, this message excludes no one. This message is for atheists, it's for Muslims, it's for members of the media. This is for everyone, right? And this is important for first century people who think the gospel is a message of Jewish Jesus for the Jewish people. This is, message has gone from a Jewish message to being a global message. The apostle speaks about the nature of the gospel as a mystery. Verse 26, this mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. The nature of the gospel is that uh, Jesus has done, uh, uh, that, that all that Jesus has done in living, dying, rising has solved this puzzle. But it has a broader reach than those who've grown up on a diet of uh, Moses, Micah and Malachi. You know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a mystery for the whole world uh, to, to enjoy the solving of. You don't have to be Jewish to understand this news. See verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that is non-Jews, the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's a massive global impact of solving this mystery. And that Jesus rose from the dead is not just a solution to a Jewish problem, it's a, it's a solution to a human problem in all creation, the problem of death. No group is excluded from this solution. It's a message of hope for all people. The message is this. All people of the world can now find a way through death into eternal life by trusting in Jesus. When you repent of your sins and trust uh, in Jesus, you, you, have, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have this hope for life, this hope for life after death. And that's why we don't simply work hard at making Christ known in Penrith. That's why we want to support gospel partners around Australia and Madagascar or Bolivia, wherever that may be. You know, it's, it's a message for all people. We're desperate for this message to go everywhere. And this mystery has been resolved and has been resolved for the whole world. 27th of June in the year 2000. The American president of the time, Bill Clinton, came together with British Prime Minister Tony Blair to congratulate scientists on a stunning and humbling achievement to mark the decoding of the human genome. Mr Blair said, this is the first great technological triumph for the 21st century. Uh, another said, it's rather like reaching the top of a mountain pass and seeing in front of you a fertile plain, rich with new ideas, new methods, new techniques, and new concepts for understanding the complexity of human biology in health and disease. Now, the results of this project are, are remain to be seen, uh, but the announcement was the resolution of a mystery that has global implications. The work of God was a mystery until the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at his resurrection, Jesus showed himself to have a way through death to life, which is a solution for a problem that every person faces. 
That is the scope of the gospel we proclaim. It's for all people. As you think of your, your family, your friends, your casual contacts, the names you write down on your Making Christ Known cards, I just want you to pick one. I just want you to pick one of them and have them in your mind now. Is that easy? Got it? Now let me just ask you about that person. How many Bible-believing followers of Jesus does that person know? Stacks? Handful? Only you. The gospel is for all people, including that person you're thinking of. Humanly speaking, how do you think God would reach that person that you have in your mind? I mean, God can do whatever he chooses, right? But if he was to use the people around that person that you're thinking of, who would he use? I can't reach them. I don't know them. At least I don't think I know them. (laughs) People around you, I suspect, don't know them. They can't reach them. But you can when few others can or will. How do I become more gospel-hearted? I recognise that the gospel is for everyone, even the people around me who know so few Christians. So, friends, how do we become more gospel-hearted? Firstly, by actually believing the gospel. Secondly, remembering the scope of the gospel. It is for all people everywhere, including those close to you. And thirdly, uh, by recognising the past and ongoing cost to the church. How do we grow in gospel-heartedness? By recognising the past and then ongoing cost to the church. The early church bore the brunt of suffering as they proclaimed the, uh, the gospel. You see the blood, sweat and tears of the apostles here. Have a look at 1 verse 24. Now I, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So we see the apostles uh, suffering very clearly here and in other places. Uh, what we see here is that in some part, Paul ties his suffering to the suffering of Jesus. Now, the tricky part is that it sounds like the apostle could be suggesting something like there was something lacking in the suffering of Jesus. Do you know when he says, I'm filling up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? Well, what's wrong with Christ's afflictions, you think? I think that thought rubs us up the wrong way because we've read the accounts of Jesus being handed over to the authorities by one of his closest friends, Jesus' own people begging for his execution, Christ's humiliation at the hands of the soldiers, the crowds mocking him, the nails going in the cross, the pain of fighting for that last breath and that cry on the cross. We've seen all that and you think there's not much lacking from that affliction really, is there? And we stand back and we say, no, Paul, that there's actually nothing missing from all that Christ did. There's nothing absent. There's nothing lacking in the suffering of Christ. But hear what Paul is saying here. He's not referring to Jesus' body hung on the cross. Instead, he's referring to Jesus' body, the church, us, saying that the church has not finished with suffering yet. And that's what he's experiencing as a proclaimer of the gospel. The last line of verse 24, for the sake of his body, which is the church, for which he uh, wants to see maturity. Uh, verse 29, we see stre- he strenuously contends with all his energy. So uh, Christ so powerfully works in me. 
I, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. Christ's body is not done with suffering. That is, his body, the church, has still got suffering to go. And that's been proven over and over again. You can imagine how things ended for St. Stephen the Martyr. The name gives it away, doesn't it? I don't think he was probably called the martyr before he died, right? But of course, he was the first martyr of many, following in the way of the Lord. Church history tells us that the story of the apostles, the writer of this letter, Paul, the, the apostle Peter, uh, they were martyred in Rome in 66 AD. Christ's body was still not done with its suffering. And of course, the story goes on throughout history. I love the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. I'm sure you've been in a situation at work where you've had to deliver some news that wasn't all that welcome or, or, or as in your family you've had to announce a marriage, a pregnancy or a change that other people aren't thrilled about. And you just say, look, oh, I'm just the messenger. I'm just letting you know, you know, don't shoot the messenger. Um, one Armenian king, uh, King Tigranes, was told by a messenger of a coming attacking army and he was so angry, this king, that he separated the messenger from his head. Um, and, but of course, you can imagine the result, can't you? The war rages on and no one lets the king know <laughs> until they're at his door. Um, it's often the case when you bring unwelcome news that you're left to face the emotional response of those that you're telling. Now, of course, you say, but what about making Christ known? It's good news, Tom. What's wrong with good news? But as we've already seen just in Colossians, as you tell someone the good news of Jesus, you're also telling them that they are alienated, estranged from God, who is returning to judge the world, and that that is a situation that's got to be fixed. That's not particularly welcome news. You're inviting them out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. That can often be a pretty sobering message. So the phrase, don't shoot the messenger, it applies to the first efforts of making Christ known. Here we see the strain of the Apostle Paul as he sought to make Christ known. The Apostle genuinely suffered and died for the gospel. Of course, Tyndale suffered as he translated the Bible into English. Cranmer, Latimer, Ridley, they were martyred as they sought to work uh, the gospel in the English Reformation. Richard Johnson, first chaplain of the colony, he had a rough start as he sought to proclaim the gospel in this place. The body of Christ continues to suffer. And the question for us is a question of courage. If I believe the gospel, am, if I'm convinced of its scope for every person, including the people around me, do I have the courage to suffer that others might know this great news. Well, friends, how do we become more gospel-hearted? Firstly, we actually believe, we trust, we depend on the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And secondly, we remember the scope of this message, that it is for every person, including all the people we know. And thirdly, by recognising the past and ongoing cost to the church, even the cost to me. Now, of course, each of these realisations can only 
come to us through the working of the Spirit. And so it's vital that we pray. So let me lead us in prayer. Uh, dear Father in heaven, we, we continually ask you to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that your spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of our Lord Jesus, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to you who's qualified us for our share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.